Well, welcome to part four of the series, Sticks and Stones. One of the things we acknowledge in this series is that quite often our words have more power than we like to admit. And sometimes our words even have more power than we know. So throughout the five weeks of the series, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at how our words have power and how to strategically use them on purpose to, as Ben said last week, to build people up rather than tear people down. So this week, the, the name of the message is Liar, Liar. So would you like to turn to the person next to you and tell them the name of the message? Get that out of the way. Um, in preparation for this message, obviously we're talking about lying. I thought about, I thought about starting it with a question that would really put you on the spot and would probably make anyone new to North Cross never come back again. So here's the question I was going to ask, but don't do this. This is just kind of what I was thinking. I was going to say, raise your hand if you're a liar. But that would just be uncomfortable for everyone because if you don't raise your hand, I have to call you out, and I didn't want to do that in church. So I thought of a different question that's maybe more specific, more concrete, and I hope, I pray, will get you to think about this whole topic maybe in a different perspective for the next 25 minutes or so question I want to ask you is this. Have you lied in the last 24 hours? Have you lied in the last 24 hours? Change the number. Have you lied in the last 12 hours? What about the last one hour? And you might respond to that with a, a good question. You might ask, well, wait a minute, what do you mean by lie? Because chances are every one of you lied on your way in today. Maybe you had a crummy day, or you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and you're just grumpy, and you walk into church, and someone asks you, how are you doing? And you said, a lie. <laughs> you said, I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. Maybe you would ask the question, what do you mean by lie? And if you're meeting with your growth group and talking about this message, you can talk about this further, because I believe that there are some times when we have to hold back the truth in order to benefit someone else. Like there's some things you just don't tell people because it would be a burden on them and that's not like you're lying to them, it's that you're just being judicious with your information. So if you're in a growth group, like what's the, op what's the good version of lying? I'm not sure what that is, but thankfully I don't have to figure that out with you here today. What we're talking about today is the bad version of lying and the best way I can put that into terms is what I have for number one on your sheet. To lie is to obstruct the truth for your own personal benefit to obstruct the truth in any way. That includes, yes, telling a half-truth and hiding the other half. That is a lie because you are obstructing the truth for your own personal benefit. Or it could be for the benefit of someone you love, someone you like, someone you want to impress. But you are obstructing the truth for your own personal benefit. So I'll ask the question again. Have you lied in the last 24 hours? And I would not ask a question of you that I have not asked of me. I asked myself, preparing for this message, as I wrote down this question, have I lied in the last 24 hours? And the, question, and the answer is, I didn't have to go back more than 23 hours and 15 minutes to, to find something. At about 9 o'clock yesterday morning, as I was kind of deep in the preparation of you know, getting ready for today, I came up from my home office. I have an office in the basement. I came up from my office to get some coffee because I believe the Holy Spirit works when your caffeine level is really high. I came up for some coffee, and one of my kids asked me to play a game. We have a little basketball hoop that's in our kitchen, and he said, um, Dad, would you play a quick game of pig with me? And I lied to him. I told him, 
I don't have time to play right now. The truth is, I could have made time, but I was prioritizing my time for things other than him. So in essence, you could say I was lying to him because I didn't want to get into the nitty-gritty details, but maybe that's just one tiny example of how this really took life for me this week. I lie more than I realize. When you stop and think about it, it's almost like a mannerism that you don't even, you're not even aware of, and you have to pause and look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I really lying again? I didn't even notice it. So what I want to do with the remaining time that we have today, there's so many different ways we could go with this, but what I'm going to do is we're just going to open up a section of biblical history that lets us in on a lot of interesting details that we need to figure out today. We know that lying is bad. We get it that lying destroys relationships and sometimes even more than that. Lying can destroy companies, they can destroy nations. Lying is a big deal. So why do we do it? And what consequence does it really have? To start starting through some of this, we're going to turn to one of the oldest stories in the Bible, not quite Adam and Eve, but we're going to turn to a story of uh, someone whom we know as Abraham and Sarah, only this goes back so far that there were, their names aren't quite Abraham and Sarah yet. And if you're new to the Bible, I'll kind of explain it this way. We've got two important people in biblical history. As we see them today, they're going to be Abram and Sarai. Here's what made him special. Of all the people on the earth about 4,000 years ago, God pointed to Abram and said, this man will be special. I will place my promise on him that of all the people on the world, he, one of his descendants, will be the savior that I have promised. One of his descendants will be the savior who is to come. Abraham, Abram was nothing special, by no means special, which we're about to see in the section for today. But what made him special is that God gave him and his wife, Sarai, this promise. This is from Genesis chapter 12 a little bit earlier. God said, Abram, I will make you a, a, a man and a, a wife with no kids yet. I will make you into a great nation. All peoples, all nations will be, on earth will be blessed through you. You will be a great nation, not just for the sake of making Abraham's name great, but you will be a blessing for every other nation because out of you will come the Savior of the world. So right away, Genesis chapter 12, we see Abram come onto the scene and his wife Sarai as the people whom God has chosen, this chosen person to become a chosen people. And almost <laughs> what we see immediately happen is that Abram almost ends the story in that same chapter, and we're going to see why today. He's placed into a situation where he resorts to a lie. And we're going to see why he lied and why we lie, and we're going to see the consequences of his lie and the consequences of our lies to this day. But it all starts with an event that he had no control over. For, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. This is in the land of Canaan. Very unpredictable rainfall. There were seasons of lots of rain and some seasons, as you see, of just drought. And the good thing is that Canaan was very close to Egypt. And Egypt had this Nile River that was very predictable with how it could provide irrigation for crops. So there was a famine in the land and Abram went down not just to shop at the Costco in Egypt to get some groceries and go back home, but he went down to Egypt to live there. He was settling there for an undetermined amount of time because the salmon, the salmon, the famine was so severe. 
The famine was so severe. Um, and, and so you see this, one thing we get from this, Sometimes when you lie, it's because things are uncertain, things are new, things are out of the ordinary, and you're placed into this situation of uncertainty where you are perhaps more vulnerable to lie than you ever had been before. So if you find yourself in a season where there's a new job, a new house, a new location, a a, a significant change, you might find yourself facing things that you never had to face before, and the uncertainty might just make this option of lying much more attractive, which is exactly what we're about to see from Abram. So as he was about to enter Egypt, apparently it was Valentine's Day, because he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Ah, you know, it's, if you just pause here and just dwell on this for a minute, it seems like Abram is very, you know, giving words of affirmation to his wife and acknowledging her beauty. And get this, she's 65 years old by now. And I'm not saying anything against 65-year-old women, but what I'm saying is he's acknowledging her beauty, which I think is romantic and it's nice. But it's not just for her that he's saying this. Here's how he continues. When we cross that border... When they start asking us questions like, why are you here? Is it business or pleasure? How long are you staying? Who are you? Should we let you into our country? When the Egyptians see us and when we start to dwell in this new country, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, here's how the culture and the... the, um, Communities worked back then. You see, where Abram and Sarai came from, people knew them. They had their marriage recognized where they were originally from, but now they're in a different place. And the way that marriages worked back then is simply this. If you wanted a woman because she was beautiful, you could make arrangements with her family to get her. Like, it's not today where if you want to propose, you just get down on a knee and give her a ring, and that's it. And you have to post it on Instagram and be all fancy with it now, but... Not back then. Back then, you had to make direct arrangements with the closest relative, whether that's the father, the mother, the brother, whatever it might be. And so Abram is saying, since I am your husband, they're just going to kill me and take you because then they don't have to make arrangements with anyone and then they can get rid of me so that you'll be available. So he's thinking through all these uncertainties and he's letting fear begin to consume him. So here's where the lie comes into play. He told his wife, Say you are my sister. When the border patrol agents try to check us through customs, mark down that we are siblings. So that, get this, so that I will be treated well for your sake. I'm with her. And so that my life will be spared because of you. He is elevating his wife to a place where God alone can provide what he's looking for the protection that he wants, he's now putting on the back of his wife, so it's a burden for her. Now, if you were Abram, would you have done the same thing? Would you have lied? And you might answer no, because I don't marry my sister. And the creepy thing is, she actually is his half-sister, which the Bible gets into a little bit later, but we won't talk about that today. Um, Would you lie? if something was at stake. Interestingly, back in 2010, there was an extensive research study that tried to determine how often people are willing to lie. And long story short, it's a 210-page study, which I I read the summary of, 
And what they said is when people are placed in a situation where they have something to lose, like there's, there's an issue where if they tell the truth, it will come back against them. Do, do you know how many people would lie in that situation? They said about 60 to 64%, or about two out of every three people will lie when the truth is problematic. The truth will get me in trouble. The truth will have a negative short-term consequence. So I will avoid the truth. I will tell a lie. About two out of three people. So I have a question for you. Are you two out of three? You are two out of three, two out of three times. I'm not a mathematician, but I think that makes sense. The, the point is, every one of us at the deepest core is inclined to go with a lie to avoid a problem rather than face up to the truth and face the consequences. So this is kind of simple, but I think it has deep implications. Number two on your sheet, that you lie when the truth is problematic, when you view the truth as something that you have to avoid. And what we need to do with that is we're going to come back to this at the end of the message, because if this is where lies come from, then we need to start looking at this differently. When what we love is problematic, we will try to hide it with lies. When what we're afraid of is a problem, we will try to hide it with lies. When what we have come to depend on is something we don't want to share, you will hide it with lies. We tell lies because we view the truth to be problematic. And for Abram, this became more than just one little innocent lie that he told. This was a lie that led him to live in a lie. Perhaps as Abram was going through this in his mind, going up to, to the border of Egypt, he said, all right, all right, all right. So when, when the Egyptians around us, when we settle into a nice neighborhood and meet the Joneses, you know, we'll, you'll say that you're my brother, and what will happen is if they want you as a wife, then they'll have to come to me and make an offer of how much they'll give, but I'll just reject all the offers, and you know, we'll kind of live in this lie together, and it'll be fine. Maybe he thought that's what he would do, but what happened next was perhaps not what he anticipated at all. Verse 14 goes on this way. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. So, you know, Abram turns to his wife and he's like, I told you so. People were going to see you. They were going to notice. And then what happened next, he could not predict. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken to his palace. Because when Pharaoh comes to take a wife, you cannot say no to Pharaoh. You cannot resist the king. And what Abraham could have done as the officials came to bring off Sarai into the Egyptian um, uh, castle, Egyptian uh, palace, he could have said, sorry guys, I lied, she's actually my, my wife, but what would they do to him then? So it's almost like step by step, Abram is slowly inching his way into a life where he's confined by his lies. So Pharaoh, as, after he did this, he treated Abram very well for her sake. And Abram acquired, get, get this, he acquired lots of things. On the outside, it looks like he's doing very well for himself. He acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys. In fact, he acquired so many animals, but that as Pharaoh looked at this, he said, I'm giving you so much that I also need to give you servants to take care of the things that I'm giving to you. So Pharaoh gave him male and female servants, and then it's almost comical. It ends with this one thing, 
and camels, which we might kind of, you know, giggle at. But the, the truth is, at that time, camels were just first becoming domesticated animals. So to give a camel away was a very rare, a very extravagant gift. Long story short, Pharaoh is giving him all sorts of wealth. And you might look at Abram and say, man, he's got it made. He's getting all this stuff, and he's living in a lie. And maybe some of you can look back at a season of your life and say, you've experienced the same, but it wasn't all that fun. You were living in a lie of your own making. Maybe a big lie, maybe a little lie. But you were living in a lie, and it was having good financial results for you. Because you were living a lie, people liked you more. Because you were living a lie, people thought you were successful. And by the outside, Abram was very successful. But get this. Every time he saw a new cattle approaching his property, a gift from the Pharaoh, he would be reminded of who was not in his household. Every time the, the goofy camels did whatever goofy camels did, and he's like, this is crazy, he would have no one to go home and share that with. Every time the servants would come in with their lists of here's how many things you have now, and here's how many animals gave birth today, and here's, here's your wealth, he would look at that list and feel like the poorest man in the world because the woman he loved was gone, taken, because he was living a lie. And this is so much more than just one man forfeiting his wife for the sake of you know, surviving and, and gaining wealth. But you have to remember the context of Abram and Sarai. This was about God creating a nation through one man and one woman, a nation who would one day give birth to the Savior. And it's almost as if the moment God gave Abram this promise, Abram almost ruined it. To the point where we could go on in Genesis 12 and just say, here ends the Bible. Abram was completely stuck in his lies. He had to lay down lie upon lie upon lie. And it's like every lie he told to keep living this lie made his world smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And some of you know the agonizing, disgusting feeling of that because you've done something similar. Maybe a big lie, maybe a little lie. But you know that when you live in it, there is no freedom. There is no peace. It's just a world that becomes smaller and smaller until it becomes so small that your lies crumble and you become known. So here's what I want you to know. Number three, maintaining a lie requires self-imprisonment. It is not a means for freedom. It is not a way to avoid what's coming. It's not a path towards peace. It is a self-imprisonment that will only require more and more and more lies to cover it up until your world becomes so small that it crashes down. And this is where the Bible should have ended. Abram had no way to go back to Pharaoh and say, sorry, um, you can take back your camels, you can take back your servants, take back the cattle. She's kind of my wife. Abram had no way to fix this because when Pharaoh asks for something, you can't tell him no. And now he was stuck living the lie that he had started. So this should be the end of the Bible. And some of you are like, oh, at least I'd read the Bible every year. But it's worse than that. Here's where we also have to acknowledge that if you find yourself imprisoned by the lies you've been telling, maybe telling other people, maybe the lies you've just been telling yourself, you have to acknowledge 
that you have no way out. You don't have the key to this, and it requires something bigger, which is what the next verse shows. When God saw Abram imprisoned in his lies, here's what happened. But the Lord. He stepped onto the scene, and he didn't do what I would have done, like, but the Lord said, forget you, Abraham, I'm going to go choose someone else to, to be the father of many nations. No. When God saw how Abram had imprisoned himself, God said, this is an opportunity for me to demonstrate to him and to all of his descendants that it's not about him being the hero. It's about me guiding, protecting, and delivering. So here's what God did. The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. And we don't get all the background. All we know is that something happened so severely that Pharaoh and all of his officials came to one conclusion. This woman isn't who we thought she was. Something is wrong, and we need to get to the heart of it to figure this out. And so maybe they interview Sarai. Maybe they say, who are you really? Where do you come from? And maybe she had to tell them, yeah, he's not my brother. He's actually my husband. Well, he's my half-brother. We'll get to that. But there's this awkward moment where they have to acknowledge it. And then the world collapses around Abram's lies. And here's what happens. So Pharaoh called in uh, Abram. He said, what have you done to me? And not like a gentle, hey, so what'd you do to me type of thing. The way that the Hebrew is pointed and the way that they wrote it, it's like for, for us in English, we would end the sentence with a, with a question mark and then an exclamation point and another question mark and another exclamation point and just go on and on. Like that's how we in English would phrase it. The, the impression from the Hebrew is that he is yelling, he's angry, he's shouting at Abram, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. There was this lie that created such animosity that Abram was going to be kicked out, expelled from this land. And it wasn't just a private thing either. Verse 20 adds a little detail. Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men. And they sent him on his way, along with his wife and everything he had. Here's what I find amazing, that in this moment, even though Abram is being expelled from the only place that has food, he's being sent with the things he needs to survive. He accumulated cattle and donkeys and camels and servants, and all of this is going with him. It's almost as if God was expressing to him some undeserved grace in his season of self-imprisonment, and that grace would continue to follow him after. And as we look at what happened with Abram in just a moment here, maybe I want to state the obvious, but then state something not so obvious. His lie had a big consequence. God wanted him to be a blessing to every nation, and he was far from a blessing to Egypt. So here's the obvious one. We don't need to be told this. We know big lies can burn big bridges. Big lies have big consequences. Big lies can destroy relationships. Big lies can destroy uh, companies. It's a general truth that we all get. But I think what we often fail to acknowledge is the danger of the little continual lies that persist, the lies that we live in, the lies that we have to lay down more lies to make up for. The more you lie, the more it becomes evident of what makes lies so dangerous. 
I'll put it this way for number four. Lies take away, they erode the intimacy, the closeness that you have with others. If there's lies in a marriage, there is a block in the intimacy, the personal closeness that you have with others. It's a, and and here's, here's the, maybe the, the bottom line thing about what makes lies so horrible. Here it is. God gave us the gift of words, the gift of language, so that we would have something that no other creature in this world has, and that is the ability to have a clear window into our heart. Words and language, they express who we are. They express what we think. They express what we feel. That was his design when he gave us that gift. But lies turn that gift into a weapon. Lies conceal. Lies divert. And those little lies that continue and continue and continue. Maybe it's just the lie of, of, of an addiction you have, but you don't want your loved ones to know. Maybe it's the lie of a dependency that you form, but you don't want people to know about it. It's, it's the, the lies of the fears that you have, but you want to appear to be strong in front of everyone. Or it's the lies of the values that you have, but you, sh- you tell people otherwise. Those erode the ability for you to have a truly close, meaningful relationship with anyone. And it's for that reason that when God looks at liars like me, liars like you, he says this, the Lord detests lying lips. Those who turn his gift of a window to the heart into a tool or into a a weapon to destroy others. The Lord detests. And that word for detest, it means to be sick to your stomach. Like it, it churns his stomach. And here's the thing. Some of you don't need to see this because when you came into church today and as, you, as we dug into this topic, you felt that detesting in yourself because you know that there is a lie you've been living in and it has imprisoned you and it makes you sick to your stomach to think about it and to think about the lives you've affected around you and it makes you sick to your stomach. And maybe some of you are in a place where Abram was, where you're sitting here with all the seemingly good things that your lives have won for you, but inwardly wasting away. Here's what I want you to know. We don't have the story of Genesis 12. We don't have it so that we can learn from Abram's mistakes and make better choices ourselves. The good news is, if you're not a Christian, you can look at this story and almost be scared into telling the truth. So there's that for you. The reason that this was told was not so that we can learn from Abram and do better, because, uh, spoiler, if you go to Genesis chapter 20, Abram does the exact same thing again, only to a different king, to to a different person. Um, He didn't learn his lesson, and the truth is, neither do we. Because the point of the lesson is not to give us a way out that we can figure out how to break ourselves free from lies. The point is, we need what Abram received. But the Lord. We need him to intervene because the lies we place down are too much for us to free ourselves from. We need him. So here's what I want you to think about. If you've been lying, or if sometime this week you find yourself navigating into a lie because you think that the truth is problematic, maybe there's just a problem with the way we view the truth. Maybe it's not that we're faced with the truth that's problematic. Maybe we just aren't seeing the truth in the right way. Let me, let me explain that. What if the thing that you're afraid of, 
Like for Abram, he was afraid he was going to lose his life. What if the thing you're afraid of isn't really the thing you should be afraid of? What if that fear has really been taken away and you just don't know about it? What if the thing you've grown dependent on and you're going to protect it with lies until you can't anymore? What if that thing you've been depending on is just a poor substitute for something else that you already have? Sometimes we create lies to protect the things that we shouldn't be protecting. And so if I lie because the, the, the truth is problematic, then there's, some, there's a problem with the way I view truth. And here's the solution that God gives. When Abram went to a new country, a new place, out of the ordinary, he went there full of deceit and full of selfishness because he was afraid for his life. But there was a greater Abram, the greater descendant, who would one day come to a world that was not his own. And though he knew it would mean the end of his life, he did not come full of deceit. He did not come full of selfishness. He came full of grace and truth. People would ask him, who are you? And he would not have to hide behind a lie. He would tell them plainly, I am the son of God. Before Abraham was, before Moses was, I am. And people would point to his record and say, how can you do these things if you are the son of God? His truth would be like this fire that no one, no one could object to. And at the same time, the grace and love he had would be for all. Uh, the Apostle John put it this way. He said, when Jesus came, it's like the word, the expression of God became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And again, he didn't come full of deceit or selfishness because his life was on the line. Quite the opposite. He came full of grace and full of truth, full of both of those things. And sometimes when you are in the prison of your own lies, that is the first thing you need to realize is that grace and truth will set you free. When you find yourself lying because you're afraid, grace and truth of Jesus reminds you, points you to the fact that your forgiveness before God has been finalized. There's nothing for you to be afraid of because death has been defeated. When you find yourself lying to defend the things that you have become dependent on or addicted to, you need the grace and truth of your Savior, Jesus, to point out the fact that there is no one more faithful, no one more dependable than him, and you can part with the thing that your lies have been protecting. And if you find yourself lying to protect something you love or lying to gain something you love, the grace, the truth of Jesus shows you that you have a greater love. He who first loved you. And even though it would mean for him entering a land that he would never return from, entering a land that he would die in, entering a world that he would die for. He still did that because he came full of grace and truth. And as you let that spiritual truth sink in, that you don't need to hold on to whatever it is that your lives have been defending, I have two things I want you to do this week. First of all, would you be resensitized to the lies? Sometimes we get into this mode of lying about things and we don't even realize it. Would you just take a personal inventory of your words this week and make yourself pause before you speak and say, why am I about to lie? What am I trying to hold back? And what am I afraid of? What is it? 
that's making me think that the truth is problematic to the point where I have to take this into my own eyes? Would you be resensitized and maybe you'll discover what I did, which is I lie more than I realize. And so we need to be resensitized to that. And the second thing is simply this. Would you rediscover grace and truth? Whatever it is that has been at the base of your lies, whatever fear, whatever trust, whatever love, would you realign that with the fear, love, and trust of God? Understanding what he has done for you and who he has made you. You are your father's child. You have nothing to fear, nothing to hide. And maybe for some of you, it will require a conversation. So you start with what God has done for you. Sometimes the lies have negative impacts on others. And maybe you just sit down sometime in the next week or month and you say, you know what, there's a part of me that I haven't been honest about. There's something I've been loving, something I've been depending on, something I've been afraid of, and it's been making me do some really nasty things. And I've found peace with God, but I want to find peace with you too. Imagine what your world would look like when the prison of lies starts to go away and you find the peace, the freedom that your Father wants you to have. Let me pray for you. Dear Father in heaven, this is a tough message, tough for me as I do a personal inventory of my words and how they're used. And I know um, for some people in the room, this could be a really tough thing. Some people listening online, they've been holding off to the end because they know that this is a serious issue that needs their attention. I pray that as we talk about lying, that for a moment this makes our guilt increase, but only so that it can be exposed and replaced with grace. As we walk out of these rooms today, it is not with a head low full of guilt. It is with a heart full of peace and forgiveness because you have declared us to be free and who the Son sets free is free indeed. You free us through your truth and the truth is You died on a cross. You were punished in our place. And our story is not done, just like Abram's wasn't. So I pray you'd give us the courage to do that and the peace so that we can reach out to the people that are close to us and experience the freedom that you want us to have. In Jesus' name, amen.